a Highline podcast. This is Ravel, a roundtable show about the complexity of faith in the age of information. My name's Josh. I'm Stephen. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of American Christianity, and we still keep thinking about how to take it seriously, even as we leave some beliefs behind. We think theology should be an exploratory dialogue, so our hope is that this podcast will encourage growth, both for individuals and communities. We don't have all the answers, but we're here to sort out as much as we can over a drink or two. Join us as we ravel out our faith in a complex world, pulling on one thread at a time, seeking meaning at the end of it all. Thanks for listening. Howdy, hello, hola. Here we are recording. <laughs> Did you like my howdy? I thought that was different. Yeah. I'm yeah, a warrior like thing ho, right ho. now. So oh, yeah. ho ho ho. Um, that was really huge, Josh. That was massive. Thank that you. was massive. You know, and here at least guy. in Wyoming, it um uh, <laughs> it is snowed, it is snowing. Mm-hmm. I'm in the festive spirit. Uh and this episode's actually gonna come out right before christmas so merry christmas that's exciting josh i <laughs> followed your advice christmas. and i listened to that john mark mcmillan song uh-huh very i did too it's good soup that is good yeah, stuff good right soup. there yeah yes good soup. i highly approve well played so i want to know what are y'all drinking as we record on this fine evening mm. i went full send christmas and i am enjoying a rum nog Mm. <gasps> Ooh, so classic. Good. It's not great for vocals. My voice sounds tired just because I've been drinking this for some reason, but uh worth it. It's worth the sacrifice. It's delicious. Ah, uh, fa la la. Love it. It does sound a little tired, but that sounds delicious. I'm drinking mm-hmm. a double portion of a double pour. I don't know what to call this when I put like two tea bags in a thing of tea. I want to call it like a double somehow, but I don't think that's the terminology in tea. Anyway, I'm drinking a double bag of uh, Tension Tamer tea from Celestial Seasonings. Oh. It's my favorite tea. Mm. I'm drinking a uh, peppermint white hot chocolate, courtesy of my wonderful husband, who went out and did some Christmas shopping, and he asked if I would like something special. And I said, yeah, this sounds good. And he just kind of, mm. over the phone, gave me that look of like, mm, okay. So then he got one for himself. And it, he loves it. Yeah. So now right. I'm laughing in his face. Sometimes basic is best. Yes. <laughs> like Hashtag I always say. <laughs> you know, because I always say that anyway. <laughs> so, you know, y'all reminded me that this was my topic. Um, and then Stephen reminded me of when this episode was going to be released. And I was motivated to change my topic. And so today we are going to be discussing Christmas movies. Mm. And I want to start with a couple questions and then I will move into what my uh, big question is for the evening. My first question for you is, did you grow up watching Christmas movies? And if so, what were some of the ones that you watched? I can think of two off the top of my head. The the all-star favorite in the Henning house was, it's called Robbie the Reindeer. What? Robbie the Reindeer? Yeah. 
I have never heard of this. It's an amazing, like, yeah, me neither. Claymation movie. And Robbie is Rudolph's son, and he's like a deadbeat. Like, <laughs> oh my. It's it's very funny. And he goes to the North Pole, and he's like this rich kid. And then he, like, he trains to be in the reindeer games or whatever. But that was a classic for us. When was that released? I couldn't tell you. I honestly don't know. It was before I was 11, so 15 years ago. Wow. Beyond, okay. Maybe more. But fun fact, we named our first dog Robbie because of that movie. And my dog Robbie was a uh, just the dopiest, dumbest golden retriever ever. And that was a perfect name for him. Aww. So that movie That's and then- really sweet. The the Bing Crosby, Danny Kay, White Christmas, uh, White Christmas. There it is. Thank oh, you. That was going to be yes. mine. I like that movie. I really do too. Mm-hmm. It's very good. But really, I it think those are the good. only two that are traditional for us to watch. Wow. Okay. I've never seen Rudolph the Red Nose. Whatever that the actual movie. I'm sorry. What? Like the famous the famous like claymation. I've never seen Rudolph. I've seen Robbie the Reindeer though. Okay. Stephen. So wait, I forgot that the original Rudolph was claymation. Are they like by the same no, people? No, different oh, studio. Okay. Oh, huh. I do remember watching some of the classics, like Rudolph and Frosty, just like as they were on TV. But I feel like the one that we probably watched the most growing up was White Christmas. But then also probably a Muppet Christmas Carol. I feel like we watched that one a lot. <laughs> mm, classic Charles Dickens, right there. Yes. <gasps> Ooh, yeah. What about you, Emily? Oh my gosh. Okay, just hearing you two, I feel like a Christmas freak because we watch, let me see if I can even name them all, uh, <laughs> Rudolph, Frosty the Snowman, Miracle on 34th Street. Which is basically God's Not Dead 3. Basically, it's yeah. No, it'd be the first one, okay? <laughs> uh, it's a Wonderful Life, uh, The Bishop's Wife. What? What is that? I've never heard of that one. <laughs> The, you've never heard of The Bishop's Wife? No. no. Oh, it's an old, old, old classic film. Um, so the premise of that film is a bishop is trying to raise money for the cathedral to be rebuilt. And he's having a hard time getting people to donate. And like the board wants to close the church and everything. And an angel appears and he takes on this form of a very handsome man, basically. And he's trying to show the bishop, like, hey, there's more to this than rebuilding the church. And um, it's a very sweet movie, though. There's one scene in particular. It's my dad's favorite scene. And it's the angel is talking to the bishop's daughter about David and the lion. And then he quotes Psalm 23. And it's a really cute scene. Um. Oh, gosh. What else do we watch? There's... Santa Claus has come into town. There's a year without a Santa Claus. Never heard of that one. Ness- what? A year without a Santa Claus. Oh, okay. This is exactly why this was the topic. Don't we go an entire year without Santa Claus every year? It's true. Yeah. Do we? Well, <laughs> mine, it's a day. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's that cavernous pause. And Emily just goes, do we? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was, oh, I could feel the death glare in that silence, the canyon of that silence. Uh, so, 
but I could seriously go on and on and on with so the Christmas movies that we watch in our house. It's insane. The point, though, and actually, I'm glad that y'all don't watch that many because this will make oh, the I conversation even better. Oh, there's more. Oh, yes, yeah, there's okay. more. Um, uh, a couple years ago, I went and like looked up all the Christmas episodes of The Office, and that was super fun. Nice. And then the next year, Ooh. I went and looked up all the Christmas episodes of Doctor Who because I love Doctor Who. And that is super fun. Like watching all the Christmas episodes of like your favorite show, super into it. And the Christmas episodes of The Office can be cringy though, like Moroccan Christmas. Yeah, but you watch them like all in one night because there's only like six or seven of them. Yeah. And you just like watch the entire span of The Office basically. Okay. That's very interesting. Kind of interesting. That's fun. That's a fun study. Okay. So anyway, what's your point? Um, Okay. So (laughs) the movies that you named do not uh i guess there's a there's a theme that i have found typically in christmas movies and it's clear cut that it's commercialism and here's a big fat jolly guy and you know we want to have all these feel good moments right but we don't actually ever talk about like the hardships of the season and like why we celebrate christmas like we say what Christmas is about, but we don't actually see movies other than like the nativity. And even then that's kind of, I don't know, the, the drama with that movie is kind of, you know, whatever. So I want to know, are Christmas movies overrated? Uh, Yes. Okay. I guess so. I mean, like they're fun. Why? I feel like I've done a pretty good job over 27 years of being alive having only really like cared about two that i can name i can name more christmas movies that i don't like than the ones i do okay so name the ones that you don't like and then discuss why you don't like them um elf is the most overrated christmas movie of all time because will ferrell i forgot about elf will ferrell is also one of the most overrated actors of all time you can add me on twitter i hate elf you got to be kidding me it's one of the best christmas movies ever i'm not even kidding like i love elf i can't believe i forgot about it i can't do this wait steven why do you not like elf i think it's obnoxious like what makes it overrated well, I mean, I think it's Will Ferrell that makes it overrated because I don't really, I don't find him as my funniest person or my favorite comedic actor. That's fair. It is like the only Will Ferrell movie that I enjoy. Which says more about him than it does Elf, but that still means Elf deserves to be on the bad shelf. <laughs> <laughs> That's my hottest that take funny. for this episode. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's just easy for me to say, yes, Christmas movies are overrated because I have really not cared to even try to seek out new ones you know i'll return to white christmas and i'll watch robbie the reindeer with my family because it's hilarious but even then like i don't know i it's more about the tradition around them than it is the movie itself okay thank you steven because that's what i want to talk about is traditions and with the holiday season you know are there traditions that we hold on to that are meaningful Or are there traditions that we hold on to that no longer have meaning and we simply just do it because it's what we're used to? Um, And so, like, for me, there are Christmas movies that I watch that are tradition and I love them and I I find meaning in them. Like every year there's something new, even though I've seen them countless times, I still find something wholesome. But I think there are some traditions in some Christmas movies 
that I watch that I simply just do it because it's what I did as a kid and I just keep doing it, but it doesn't mm. really yeah. provide anything for me. And I'm wondering, you know, with Christmas season upon us, are there traditions like in Christianity and within the season that we hold on to that maybe are not worth holding on to anymore? Or are there traditions that could be started? You know, what are things that can be new and continued and held on to in a way that we hold on to traditions now? So that is mm. the true question. But Christmas movies was my avenue through which to start this conversation. That is an interesting question because I feel like a lot of traditions, hmm, what's the way I want to word this? Like, I feel like Christmas traditions is a great example of the fact that traditions are often started in family structures and often continued through family structures. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, for instance, my, the first one that comes to mind for me for Christmas is that uh, my parents have this minimalist, uh, like, wood cutout nativity set that is, like, handmade and handcrafted, and um, it's really nice, and it's really simple, and I don't know how this started, but it became the tradition to have the various figures of the nativity appear in the house throughout December. Like, first we would see the shepherds, and then we would see oh. Mary and Joseph, and then they would be, it would be, like, the game in the morning to go find them, and then they would move every morning so like they'd be hmm. in a new spot and then as we like approached christmas week like they would move like multiple times a day and then we wouldn't see the wise men until like the week of christmas and then they wouldn't arrive in the nativity until whatever the day is what is that you know what i'm talking about epiphany epiphany yeah and that was like such a fun and fond memory and like it's like one of those things that like i totally want to do with my kids if i ever have kids someday because i think it's just so fun like when i finally found mm. out about elf on the shelf that honestly did not come about for like a while like i think it's only like 10 years old or something like that when i heard about it being a thing i was like well, that sounds like a ripoff it sounds like they stole that from my mom <laughs> like <laughs> this is, we've, we've been doing this with the nativity set for like years amazing <laughs> it's way cooler <gasps> i love that but like i'm pretty sure that we are the only family that has done that i don't in that way maybe because like i've never heard of anyone else doing that mm -hmm. and it's so fun and realistically that will probably just continue down my family structure and i think that's fascinating like i think that a lot of the traditions that we have holiday related or not often are related back to family structure somehow mm. that reminds me of quite a few in my family oh yeah yeah share Stephen. i think so to avoid me talking a lot though i'll give one and then emily you give another and we'll just round table it until we're out of them is that fun yeah i know i love that okay mm -hmm. So the first one I can remember and the one that Dixie and I adopted immediately after getting married is that any trip we go on, so any place we visit, right, even if it's just like an Airbnb out of town for a weekend or if it's like a week in Washington, D.C. or something like that for a big vacation, we always get a Christmas ornament to be the, the, like the one souvenir for us. And then every Christmas when we're setting up the tree, the tradition is like, what like we each take turns pulling an ornament out of the box and when we pull it out we have to say where it was from and then share one good memory of the trip that we got that ornament from oh and then we hang it on the tree and the next person goes that's so sweet so it's fun to just kind of like rehearse 
rehearse the history of like all the fun places we've visited and all the vacations and you know time we've spent together oh this is making my heart just like so warm and fuzzy i love it well it's your turn now so tell me one of yours emily (gasps) this tradition is one of my favorites and it's also probably the funniest i don't remember exactly when we started it because i was very little but my dad had told my sister and I, you know, if we want to hear the reindeer on the roof and we want to give them a little treat, we need to give them sugar cubes. And so I thought that just meant we were going to leave sugar cubes on a plate and then like Santa was responsible for giving him the sugar <laughs> cubes. Yeah. No, we would go outside <laughs> on Christmas Eve oh. and we would throw sugar cubes <laughs> on our roof. What? That's so funny. <laughs> It's so funny, but it was so sweet. Like, we all are standing there, like, we have our pajamas on and, like, our snow boots, our hats, and our coats, and we're just standing out there. It's freezing cold, and we're just hucking sugar cubes onto our roof, Uh and sometimes, you know, we would miss and we'd hit the window, or we'd try to see who could throw it the farthest and see who could get it over the house. (laughs) My sister would try to get it in the chimney. I mean, it was just... One of those things that as we got older, clearly my sister and I, like, we outgrew the idea of Santa, but we still loved going outside and just throwing sugar cubes <laughs> as a family. And it was it was one thing that yeah. we could all just come together and do something totally Shelton personality perfect right there. Do you still do um, that? I Now that Thea is around, I told Alex, yes. like, if there's one tradition I want to keep yes. up, it's going on Christmas Eve, standing outside. And throwing sugar cubes onto the roof of the parsonage. Amazing. So we are going to carry on that tradition for sure. I like that a lot. Josh, do you have yeah. another one? Um, can't think of another one off the top of my head. Were we all the families who would do like one gift on Christmas Eve before you go to bed? My family was like that. No. Alex's family did that. Oh. Yeah. So that's one we're going to be incorporating as well. I guess another tradition for my brother and I was always, we weren't a Santa house as far back as I can remember. So like we kind of knew that it was our parents putting the stuff under the tree the night before after we had gone to bed. So once we caught on to that, we, uh, my brother and I always tried to stay up as late as possible and like try to pull an all nighter Mm -hmm. to get so that we could hear and like eavesdrop and hear my parents like moving stuff under the tree and stuff. And we always fell asleep around like at midnight or one. And my parents were just smart enough to know that if they just set their alarm for like six or seven, like it was barely early. They were just like, I mean, they're going to stay up all night and then they're going to sleep through just us waking up early. So perfect. So that worked out. Yeah. I know one tradition uh, is my mom would, uh, take my sister and I to Christmas Eve church service and then we'd get in the car afterwards and we would drive around and look at all the lights with my dad. Oh, yes. And some of the lights like in Laurel and he doesn't live there anymore. I think he actually passed away, but not too far from where my house is, there was a house where a retired doctor would purchase like all these lights and each year he had a theme for his decorations. Mm-hmm. And he would hire people to assemble these grand, I'm talking like multiple story high decorations. Like one year he did a nutcracker scene. One year he had 
uh, poinsettias. One year he had uh, teddy bears. And these were, I mean, these lights were as tall as a two-story house. And they were giant, massive displays. And people would line up with their cars and slowly drive by his house. And you would hear music being piped through. And it was Mm. just always a huge spectacle. But I really loved as a kid being able to just sit in the car. We'd have hot chocolate and drive around looking at all the lights till like 11 o'clock or so. And then we'd fall asleep and (gasps) magically, you know, wake up and all the gifts are there. But and so like those are traditions, you know. They warm your heart and you remember them fondly. And there are some that, you know, we all want to continue. Were there traditions that you had or that you know of of other people that are traditions that are just carried on simply because it's what you did or that's what someone else did? Mm. Like what? Give me an example. Like you mean like another family's tradition that we adopted? Well, either that or, or like traditions that you know of like a friend or someone and their traditions that they simply just do because it's been so deeply ingrained in them. Like it doesn't give them any joy. They don't do it because they want to. It's almost out of like obligation. Well, it's funny that you word it that way. Cause the first thing that comes up for me is like, that's the way I always heard it described of people who only went to Christmas around the holidays, Christmas and Easter. Creasters, yeah. Creasters, or we called them CEOs, Christmas and Easter always. <laughs> that's funny. Like I that's, like that. <laughs> I like Creasters too. That's the way I like heard them described as like, well, they're not really Christians or like they they used to come here all the time and now they only come around the holidays because they think that they should or something like that. Mm-hmm. There was always this sense of like, they're coming out of obligation. But now like, I'm kind of on the side of like, I'm largely unchurched like for all intents and purposes like i do not regularly attend somewhere even though i'm pretty christianish but like i like want to go places now on the holidays like christmas is coming up and i'm like i'd really like to go somewhere like around christmas like i don't think mm-hmm. i'm gonna be able to go consistently for the entire month of advent like i haven't so far but i would like to go around christmas and like i want to go on ash wednesday and Around Easter time, like even if I'm not there like Easter morning, like it is nice to go around the holidays. And like now I feel like I'm on the other end of that. And I'm like, oh, man, I bet people think that about me now. Like I bet they think Mm. I'm only like coming out of obligation or something. But you're a CEO now. I'm a CEO. (laughs) Wow. Um, So I don't know. Like that's what just came up for me. Like when you worded it that way. Mm -hmm. That was one of the one of the things I was thinking of, too. Hmm. What about you, Stephen? Um. I've been invited along with people who uh, who have a deeply ingrained tradition of like door to door caroling, and it was mm. clear that most everyone didn't want to be there, and it was miserable. Like, oh no, it was so oh. awkward because like it was it was clearly for like the one parent who really loved it, and then like the rest of the kids or the like neighbors or the friends. The church friends that were invited along were there because they were like, what, I mean, what do you say? You say no to this person? Like, <laughs> um, but then it was just like everyone was just half heartedly singing and you're just like, oh, I want to just like shrivel up and die now, please. This is so awkward. Mm. That's really mm-hmm. funny. That's going to be me that someday. <laughs> like, I think I, th- I think besides when it was like a dedicated 
event night for us for like our show choir at Laurel. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think I've ever been to a just like an impromptu caroling event that was fun for me. And that's I guess that's just mm-hmm. one tradition that I've always been like, I like singing, but not like this. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. So what do we do with those traditions? Like, it sounds like there are some that we would be more than happy to get rid of, like the obligated caroling. But yet they're still around. And so what does it take to cease a tradition? I almost want to frame it as like the way people talk about habit formation and that you don't like you can't just end a habit. You have to replace it with something new. Mm hmm. And that's almost how I am thinking about traditions right now is that like you don't just stop, but you got to replace it with something that you are actually excited about or, you know, something that you can legitimately say is life giving for Emily's. <gasps> Put that on your bingo card. Favorite phrase, you know. Have there been traditions that you have replaced? I mean, like I don't watch the same Christmas movies every year, but like growing up, they were kind of tradition. Mm-hmm. Stephen, are you saying that you think that you do need to replace things if you like want to stop them as a tradition? Yeah, I wonder if that's a a helpful strategy at least, because like clearly, I just stopped going to church. I didn't really replace that either. Yeah, so you don't have to, but I wonder if it's helpful to replace it so that it's something that you're not just thinking about what you're leaving behind, but you're replacing it with something that's exciting Mm. or meaningful. What would be the purpose of extinguishing a tradition? If it's harmful or something like I I can't think of like a Mm. Christmas tradition that's harmful. Although I guess like, like back to your point earlier, Steven, uh, like we were not a Santa family either. And like, we were taught that it was like wrong (laughs) that, other parents were like telling their kids about Santa when it was like a lie. Yeah, it's, which it's I loved about my parents because they yeah. were the 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 healthy middle. I think where they're like, yeah, I mean, some people believe in Santa and don't kill that for them, and but we just don't do it because we've never have. As far as traditions go, though, do you guys want to talk about Santa? Because we were talking about Santa in the Discord a couple weeks ago. Yeah, um, yeah. So basically, one of our community members floated the idea that Santa is an antichrist, which is a very fun concept for me. Is Santa himself in his current Americanized iteration a tradition worth getting rid of? Hmm. I want to say no. Okay. But I'm processing. What's worth keeping? I think that's what I'm... (laughs) trying to process (laughs) i think i can buy you some time and read brandon's comment in the discord if you'd like okay yeah shout out to brandon thanks for this man so i think that santa santa claus is an antichrist that is that santa claus embodies the opposite of the teachings of jesus i think this due to the warped image of santa particularly in the u.s not because of the turkish saint nicholas Santa is a being who makes a list, makes sure that that the good people get gifts, blessings, and blessings, and the naughty get punishment and coal. And when I hear the song Santa Claus is Coming to Town, all I think about how the fact that it is not the way of the gospel, and now this image of Santa and the oppressive system of capitalism has taken over the celebration of the incarnation of Christ. It's shocking to me that people that follow the teachings 
of a homeless man from the Middle East that taught that we should give all our money and possessions to the poor have so quickly embraced the system that perpetuates buying material goods on the basis that they continue to do good works. Mm. Woof. It is thought provoking, I will admit, but I'm not sure. I'm, it, it feels like a no offense, Brandon, uh, if you're listening to this, and I'm sure you will. Uh, but like, it feels like a little bit of a jump to me. But I like see. I think I see the uh, the concept because, like, I do think that you can argue that consumerism and capitalism is not in line with Jesus's teachings, which, like, some people mm-hmm. definitely argue. But then, and like, I like I'm leaning more towards that way in that. Like, it is strange to me that, like, so many Christians really attach to capitalism. Like, mm. if you listen to anything that Mr. David Ramsey has to say, mm. like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that he would definitely subscribe to the attitude of, like, you get what you pay for and, like, what you reap, you will sow. Like, some people like to quote biblical-sounding things like that. Actually, I guess the reaping and sowing thing is in the Bible, I think. Yeah, he likes Proverbs. It's one of his favorite books of the he Bible. Does. Yeah. Oh, does he like Proverbs? Yeah. And like, see, I feel like Santa does have an aspect of that, like, especially with like the naughty or nice thing, like you reap what you sow. But I also hear the critique that consumeristic capitalism is anti what Jesus was talking about, mm-hmm. which I think there's yes. a good case for. I don't know if that necessarily makes makes the commercialized version of Santa Claus a type of antichrist. <laughs> I guess it depends on what you mean by antichrist. Like, I feel like Brandon is using it in the sense of just something that's like in opposition to Jesus's teaching and not like an apocalyptic figure. Yeah. Not a character from the book of Revelation. Yeah. So maybe, I don't know. I mean, like, I don't like the commercialization of Christmas either. Mm -hmm. Like, so when you first asked this question, I, my thought was like, I think one of the good things about Santa is that that's maybe in line with Jesus is the idea of giving hope to the hopeless. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. But, but also, like, Brandon does have a point about, like, it's, like, only earned. And so maybe there's, like, s- some aspect there of, like, it's not completely in line. I don't know. Mm. I'm not sure. We're going to take a quick break to say a few thank yous. Then we'll be back to our conversation. Thank you to our generous patrons for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Y'all are such a huge encouragement to us. If you'd like to support future episodes of Ravel, visit patreon.com slash RavelPod or by tapping the link in the show notes. Thank you to everyone who is giving five-star ratings and thoughtful reviews on Apple Podcasts and to everyone who contributes to our weekly discussions at RavelPod on Instagram and Twitter. And of course, much love to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music in full color. And thank you to the Highline Media Network for having us as one of their founding podcasts. Here's a quick preview of a recent episode from our sister show, No Normal People. And I think a lot of that comes from me being the weird kid in high school. Oh. This is my uh, secret D&D ability. (laughs) I will find something to connect with you about with anyone. And I will find the dude who is in the corner of the party and is most likely a really cool guy and he just needs someone to like like tee him up for it. What is that poorly drawn meme where the guy is like standing at the party? If they only knew I... You know that meme? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and now, back to the conversation. Danelle made a good point in the Discord as well, talking about how 
a lot of what Christmas, like the Christmas traditions that exist now are, are from when the early Catholic church was converting pagans. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And like incorporating winter solstice celebration, burning Yule logs, incense, candles, oils, all that kind of stuff. And I guess to that point, it, that does kind of suggest something about like replacing traditions in the way that, you know, Christians were like, ah, yes, you're worshiping the sun, but like worship the creator of the sun. You know how mm, St. Patrick mm-hmm. ministered to the Celts that way, basically saying it's like, it's not the sun God, it's the God that made the sun. So check it out. Right. You know? So in that way, kind of replacing their traditions and giving it like new light or a new angle or something like that. I mean, that could also just be called colonization too, which is yeah. problematic. So mm-hmm. there's questions, right? Yeah, but I think that you can inject new meaning into something. Like, Emily, your question earlier about, like, extinguishing traditions. Mm-hmm. I feel like a tradition can be started for a different reason than it's continued. Oh. I agree with that 100%. Whoa. Like, with the caroling example, like, I made an offhand remark about, like, that's going to be me someday because uh, I had a really fun time a couple years ago just going caroling with my friends. Like we just went, we just like did it spur of the moment. We went to people's houses that we knew and it was fun. Mm-hmm. And someday I'm probably going to like try to do it again. And like, maybe if I have kids someday, I'll like rope my kids into it and be like, this is going to be fun. But like in the end, I'm like trying to replicate that original time that was super mm-hmm. fun. Oh, wow. Yeah. But like for the people who are doing it for the first time, like say it's like my kids or something, they're going to be like, well, we just do this and we're like being dragged along. Like they have no original meaning for it. This is clearly dad's thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We do it because dad wants us to do it. Right. Which is like true, but like for them, the meaning is like completely different. And like, I think you can apply, someone could disagree with this, I suppose. I'm not always 100% right. But like, I think you could take something like the Christmas tree and be like, well, this was an originally a pagan thing. And then like Christians didn't just want to like get rid of it and like wipe out all the meaning of people doing it. So it was continued and like they now say they do that for a different reason. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I do think that there are traditions that, and I can't like name any specifically, but I think there are traditions that you can let go of for a time and then find meaning in again and mm. maybe revitalize it, you know, in a way that is life-giving. And I think it's one of those things that as people grow and as time passes, so can tradition. And I think we have to be willing to say it doesn't have to remain the exact same as it did when it first started. Mm. It can be difficult and it can be overwhelming, I think, for people to accept that. (laughs) Um, I think about like in the church when a new pastor comes in and, and they tell them, this is how he's done it for so long. And that pastor says, okay, cool, but maybe we can add something. Maybe we can let go of it for a while and and bring it back or make some type of change, whatever the case may be. And people sometimes just have a hard time with letting that go, with, with saying it's okay for tradition to change with us and still be tradition. Mm, I like that. Mm-hmm. I think some new traditions... I think it's it's interesting to discuss new traditions as well. It's kind of a fun space to explore. Like, what what are you finding excitement or meaning in right now? Mm-hmm. So, like, 
this is my second year actually observing Advent as Advent, right? Like 2020 was the first time I ever took that seriously. And that was because of Emily. Oh, Stephen. Um, yeah, it's something incredibly meaningful to me. And it's something that I've observed other Christians do my entire life. I'm like, why do they do that? Why do they need that? Mm-hmm. But in a way, like, because it's new to me, it's very exciting. And it's like a tradition that I'm adopting of like devotionals and scripture readings and prayers and all that kind of stuff to like put me in a different mode rather than like just like make sure everyone's shopping list is taken care of. Cause that used to be very fun to like think through like, all the gifts and, you know, not that I don't do that anymore, but adding a layer of, of something very deep and meaningful to me right now is very nice. I like the phrase that you just used of what is it that when you're talking about Advent, you know, what, what does this do for people? What does it like give them? Mm. I think that's the first question that we should ask ourselves for any tradition, setting Christmas aside. Wow. I think that is a question that we should ask and that sets the tone for whether or not tradition should adapt and either that or just try to, you know, completely let go. Because I I would say that that question helps set the tone for actually looking at tradition as something more than just obligation but as something that actually gives and provides something. Mm. And I think that's important for Christians because it can be easy to say you're a Christian and to do things out of obligation. But it's another to say you're a Christian and to actually participate and do things because it gives you something like it gives you meaning and it gives you hope or whatever the case may be. Mm. And I think that question helps establish that with understanding that. I think it's kind of nice to do things out of obligation. Like, why do you do this? Well, we just do it. Like, we just do it every year. Like, Christmas only comes once a year. I think it's kind of nice. But what if Christmas didn't come once a year? Like Narnia? What if we lived in Narnia? (laughs) (laughs) No, I hear what you're saying. Like, do something because it's meaningful. But, like... I guess my mind is drifting to people who have a hard time with faith or a hard time with church, um, whether they've fully feel like they've become not a Christian or they're questioning or like something rough is going on with the church and they feel like they can't participate in a tradition. I think when people feel stripped of tradition around times of the year that had been super meaningful for them in the past and like steeped in uh, repetition and like obligatory events or seeing family. And then all of a sudden, like, there's a drastic change. I think that that really affects us psychologically. Like, Mm. I think in that sense, it's like nice to have the obligatory. And maybe it's like not as nice in the moment, but like, as soon as there's an absence, I think it's really noticeable. And maybe not everyone feels that way. Like, maybe some people are happy to not have traditions. I don't know. But I'm just thinking about like, now now I'm older. Like, now I don't go hunting around the house for the toys. A, because I don't live in my parents' house anymore, but mm. B, I'm an adult. And like, I kind of miss that. Like, it's fun. <laughs> but that wasn't obligation. No, I know. Yeah, that's true. Well, how do you tell the difference then? Like, between doing something out of obligation. Maybe that's the next question to ask, you know? How would you tell the difference? 
between whether you're doing something out of obligation versus like because you find meaning in it. Mm. Hmm. Well, let's see. Would you just say that like anything that's like imposed by someone else is out of obligation? Yeah. Hmm. Like I had a hot take on Twitter the other month that was basically like, I think 50% of concert tickets are filled by people who don't really want to be there. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, because the person who is excited to be there buys two tickets. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and like, yeah. Okay. but like, that's such a trope, right? Like, you get mm-hmm. dragged along. Like, not that you don't want to be there with a the person. Like, obviously, like, you do on yeah. some level, but like, there's always one person that's more stoked to see the show. Mm-hmm. Right. And I feel like in some ways, traditions are like that a mm-hmm. little bit. Mm-hmm. So, is, is obligation just other imposed or group imposed? Hmm. Like, I suppose some churches probably have traditions that I'm sure some people are like, why do we do it that way? But it's like, we just like, we always have done that. Like, like an advent wreath. Like, does anyone find meaning in that outside of like, we've mm, just always done that? Yeah. I don't know. Mm. Yeah. Uh, my, my guiding questions that I've been working on for like, for next year, for 2022, like Dixie and I having lived in this place that we purchased less than a year now, like it's coming into focus like where we want our priorities to be both in our relationship and like the the way we spend our time the way we spend our time together and apart you know the relationships we want to foster and all that kind of stuff and as we're identifying those priorities i think the the two very simple questions that i'm asking myself for 2022 is is this activity or commitment something that i could sustainably do for a year and is it fun and honestly, it's the is it fun part for me that is has been very revealing to like, oh, yeah, no, it's not it's not fun to like, <laughs> I don't know, be committed to something that I don't really want to be at, you know, and that in, in that case, if I can answer no, it's not fun or no, it's not sustainable, then it feels like an obligation to me, whereas I show up to everything else that I can answer in the affirmative, those two questions that I'm excited to be there. Cause like I like that. Josh, our time every week recording Ravel. Do you consider it an obligation or no? Even though it's others imposed, because I was the one who was like, "Do you guys want to start a podcast with me?" <laughs> well, I mean, I guess so. I maybe like commitment feels better than sure. obligation, but to me, those are like a little in tandem. Like it is a time obligation because I've agreed to it. Mm-hmm. Does obligation? Does the word feel non consensual? It, yeah, it kind it of does. feels like you're dragged along, you know, like it was an yeah. obligation for me to go to the cringy caroling in the past, <laughs> right? Yeah, like when it's compulsory, it's required, and there's something that is almost like taken away from you when it's obligatory, you know? It is like non-consensual in a sense. I, I, would, I would say, yeah. Okay, so is tradition non-consensual? Or obligatory. I think it can be. Okay. You find the sweet spot where it's tradition and you're doing it consensually. Mm -hmm. Right? That's the optimal. That's the goal. Right? Yeah. I I would think. Okay. Maybe we should ask a broader question of like, what is tradition for? Maybe not even necessarily just Christmas tradition. Like Mm. if we're just thinking about the concept at large. Mm-hmm. What is meant to be the purpose of continuing to do something? Like, is it meant to be a callback to the original? I think it's more of it's more of a tool to 
like contextualize your place in time. Like for me, like Mm. participating in traditions, whether it be my family's tradition or a church tradition, is a way for me to feel a tighter kinship with the church of 1900 years ago and also maybe the church Mm. of a thousand years from now. Like knowing that Eucharist is something that's observed, you know, since the Last Supper, it's something that feels like, wow, I'm symbolically joining up with a lot more than just the people in the room here. What do you think, Josh? I don't know. The tie back to sacrament is kind of interesting. Like, that is a remembrance of the original. But, like, there Mm -hmm. are other Christmas traditions that are not a remembrance of the original. Like, we don't have Christmas trees because the pagans had Christmas trees. Even though that is true. Like, that's not the reason that we give now. Right. I think it's a a connectedness thing for me. You know, Mm. whether it be to the original or just knowing that, you know, last year we did this, next year we did this. Kind of gives you a sense of Mm -hmm. coherency, you know. And just rhythm, you know, it's a nice rhythm. We are creatures of habit, and there is something comforting in repetition Mm. and not being caught off guard. Yeah, that's that's why recently I've I've done a full one eighty. I say recently, meaning since we started Ravel, on I think the liturgical calendar is a beautiful thing. Whereas I used to look at it and be like, why would you limit yourself to like preaching those passages? You can preach on anything else, you know, but having the time set aside for Lent and Epiphany and Holy Week and Advent is a nice thing because it, yeah. yeah, it keeps you in rhythm, I think. I think you're right, Stephen. I think it is about connectedness. Oh, thanks. Like either way, like you <laughs> want to feel connected to something. I'm a huge fan of making up your own traditions in the grand oh, tradition of traditions. Yes. Just make up your own. Totally agree. <laughs> Yes. Mm-hmm. I think it's so fun. Starting this year, my dad and I will always be watching Paul Blart Mall Cops <laughs> movies on Thanksgiving. That's beautiful. <gasps> hey, there you go. Look at that. One of my employees uh, told me how her and her family always do a pie off. Like they all each bake a pie in a contest. That's fun. And then they like vote. They like yeah. take tests. I guess so. And, oh, wow. I'm also a fan of delicious traditions. Oh, yeah. Uh, as a Methodist, like, food is standard. So, <laughs> hmm There's one, tra- oh, it's my tradition. I don't know <laughs> anyone else. But there was one year at Laurel United Methodist Church. He was still in high school, I think. There was a typo on the slide when we were singing Silent Night. It was, you know, meant to be a beautiful thing where we're all holding the candles and it's dark and we're singing a cappella. Um, instead of Shepherd's Quake, someone had typed Shepherd's Quack at the site. That's funny. And every year, I still sing Shepherd's Quack at That's the fun. site. That's uh, fun. That's very fun. <laughs> I, I do. And I told my music director this, uh, Kennedy, and she asked me, she said, are you going to do that in church <laughs> this year? And I was like, absolutely. Oh. I won't be miked. I won't be miked, but I will sing it. Every year. That's what I do. That's funny. That's very good. What do you think church has got the tradition of doing candlelight Christmas Eves? Like, does everybody do that? Mm. I feel like everybody does that. What? Where did we get that from? It's, I, what, like, where, I know. What, who started that? Someone did. Someone did, yeah. And I thought well, it was a thing is, winter like, it, solstice thing, right? Like, we're around the it? darkest time of the year. 
Oh, like yeah. the nights are longer, the days are shortest. Maybe it's because like churches who had Christmas Eve services back in the day before electricity, it was one of the only evening services. Maybe. <gasps> Actually, that's oh. probably a very good take. And carols, maybe at other like evening time services of the year, maybe they didn't always need light. Right. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Mm. I, that's a very good theory. Do you ever wonder if like, like looking back at traditions, like, like for instance, like that, like we just may never know like why things started. <laughs> yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. I often wonder this, like what started just because like a family thought it was fun and now it's like, no, this is what Christians do, man. This is a tradition. <laughs> or like if you, so Emily, your sugar cube example, for some reason made me think of like people sacrificing people. And how, like, maybe an anthropologist, <laughs> like, a thousand years in the future will, like, somehow discover, like, sacrificing sugar cubes. Audio or written reference that, like, Emily's family, when they were little, would throw sugar cubes up on the roof. To appease the, the sky the gods. Yeah. <laughs> they believed that reindeer literally would come for these sugar cubes instead of their children. That's, oh... When in That's like the story I'm gonna tell Theo when I love she this. Grows up. <laughs> when in like reality, like there's multiple layers to like understand how you get to that point. Like, first of all, like someone was born two thousand years behind them, and then like that started like a tradition of Christmas taking over the winter solstice, and then like there was the Santa Claus narrative that got told, and then we get to reindeer on the roof. Yeah. That's a good point though, that like some traditions do build off of other traditions or other mm. narratives or other events yeah you know and so it makes me think about like today stuff that's happening today will it become tradition and to think about how future you know ravel podcasters you know like future people will look back and see the traditions that we have now it just mm. is mind-boggling i never would have mm. i would have actually never taking the time to think about how traditions actually kind of feed into one another. And I, I'm, I'm serious. I'm going to tell Thea that we threw sugar cubes on the roof so we didn't have to sacrifice ourselves <laughs> to the reindeer gods. Oh, my God. Is that? That's so funny. What do you think of the take of, like, I don't let my family do Santa because I don't want them to think that I'm lying about Jesus, too? Oh, that's mm. interesting. Because eventually it's going to come to light that your parents, like, gaslight you into thinking Santa is real for a while. But I feel like with Jesus, with God, with that entity, I feel a connection and a relationship with. I don't feel a connection and a relationship with Santa. Mm. <laughs> you yeah, know, like, I think I'm sure some kids did growing up. Yeah. I think they looked up to Santa. Like, I left him cookies. He left gifts that said, like, to Susie from Santa, you know? Yeah, but did you actually, like, have a relationship with Santa? Like, a deep connection? Well, there was a perceived relationship. Perceived is different than... Well, but yeah, but to the kid, it's actual. Because, like, I see, I actually feel like I understand why some parents don't do this. Because, like, that is a much more tangible reality than Jesus. And I think that, I mean, this is like kind of projection, but like if you rip that tangible relationship away, I do think 
it makes sense that like the intangible relationship with the divine would be easier to cast away. But I don't actually know if that's true. Like I, I don't know if there's any science on that, but like logically that makes sense to me. So I can see how people get there. I think Emily, like non-Christians would argue that you only have a perceived relationship with Jesus too, in the same uh, way totally. that you would that have. That is fair. You know, that is and like, fair. I, mm-hmm. like I will never give Santa a hug and I don't think I'll ever give Jesus a hug either. Like, like I will never <gasps> encounter these Stephen. embodied people <laughs> in my life. That's true. Yeah. So it is a very curious, like, I, I, I really admire the consistency that is, of yeah. Like, listen, I do commend that. If I'm mm-hmm. gonna, because I don't think the the argument can come down to like, well, it's nonsensical to think that these reindeer make his sleigh fly, and he's carrying gifts for literally every child in the world on one night. Like, there's no way he can travel that fast unless he's traveling near the speed of sound or light, and we can't do that without spaghettification or whatever. And it's like, I think that. People in the in a mindset could say like, yeah, but it's also kind of nonsensical that dude came back to life after being crucified, hmm. you know, so that can't be the argument either. I don't know. I've been thinking about that for a while because I really do like the way my parents handled it where they were like, yeah, that's just not something that's part of our Christmas tradition, but don't, don't you dare ruin it for other people, you know, like I was never mm-hmm. the guy who was like, Santa isn't real. Wake up, you sheeple. <laughs> yeah no i i can appreciate that Mm. i thought of another christmas movie that i absolutely love that makes me cry that makes you cry oh okay spill yeah dixie and i found this movie like two years ago and in all fairness i think it came out two years ago but it's klaus on netflix Oh my gosh, Klaus is so good. Isn't it so sweet? It's so cute. It is so sweet. So speaking of creating new traditions, Josh, we have have combined a few traditions between Dixie and I. So my family used to do one small gift, like on Christmas Eve. Her family used to, um, it was tradition to everyone gets a new pair of pajamas every Christmas Eve, and then they watch a movie together. On Christmas Eve. So now Dixie and I give each other uh, pajamas, open one small gift, and then watch Klaus for the last two years. And it's been awesome. Oh, that's so sweet. Christmas Eve, man. I just thought of another Christmas movie, and I can't believe I didn't even mention this one at the beginning because it is my all-time favorite Christmas movie. It's called The Life and Adventures of Santa Claus. And it's a take on the story behind Santa and it's so bizarre. It is so bizarre. It's so good. I love it. Mainly because the bad guys in the movie are these like monsters that live in the Rocky Mountains. <laughs> oh, what? What? Yeah. All right. <laughs> they're called the Ogwas and they're these monsters that steal toys and like tell children to like misbehave and it's it's one of those movies that again, you know, is Hyping up on goodwill and, you know, Santa and all that. But it does have a good lesson. Mm. There's one part in the movie where uh, the great Ack is his name, takes young Claus around the world and shows him how mankind lives. And so, like, uh, the great Ack shows him, you know, children living in poverty, war, you know, the disparity between 
those in royalty and those who are like enslaved and like all these different scenarios. And Klaus is like asking, why does this happen? Like, why do we do this? And the great act is like, that's a great question. You know, humanity is complicated and messy, but it's something that we need to be a part of and live among and learn to be better and to help others be better so that the world can be better. It's just a really cool message and just very cheesy. And I love it. Nice. I, I almost feel like this is a good place to, to kind of tie the bow, you know, to wrap up, sort of speak. Uh, nice. Fun. Nice Christmas puns. Are there uh, any last thoughts or closing remarks? Christmas cookies. Decorating sugar cookies is a new tradition of ours, too. I just remembered. Ooh. I've also been making a delicious drink. I think it's a German drink called Vossel, and it's like a cranberry cinnamon <gasps> licorice Was- drink. Yes. It's so good. Mm-hmm. Did you say it's licorice? So yeah, it has a star of- So good. Anise? Anise yeah. stars? Yeah. Which is what huh. gives licorice its mm-hmm. licorishness, and it is delightful. Delicious, but no, other than other than just talking about food, because now I'm hungry, I have no other thoughts. Yeah, Josh? thanks, Steven. No, well, Merry Christmas, you guys. I can't believe it's Christmas. Oh, just a reminder, there's not an episode coming out next week. Don't freak out. Correct. Thank you for the reminder, Josh. You're welcome. That's right. Talk to you guys in two weeks, then. You're not going crazy. We are just taking, we're taking a holiday. A little Christmas no. break. But we will be in the Patreon Ravel discord community so if you are a patron we'll continue to hang out no worries we're not taking a break from y'all otherwise uh i'll see you guys next year oh merry christmas happy new year merry christmas happy new year emily how do you end how do you end the year or end christmas or end christmas eve what do you do oh well let's see if i can uh, wrap it up let's see We are closing a chapter in this year. We are starting a new chapter ahead of us. May this time that we are embarking on together be filled with hope, love, and peace. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Welcome to No Normal People. I'm Steven. And I'm Dixie Lee. The internet didn't need another podcast interviewing the same famous authors, artists, and thought leaders. Dixie, my friend Bailey educated me about a word called sonder, and this is the realization that any stranger or passerby you see has a life equally complex, deep, and vibrant as your own. So join us every Tuesday as we talk to the normal people in our lives and hopefully inspire sonder in yours. No Normal People. It's like Humans of New York, but a podcast, and in Montana. Highline Media Network. Artist-owned podcasts by normal people in normal places.